This is a HeadGum Podcast. Overdue is brought to you by BetterHelp. Andrew, when's the last time you learned something new about yourself? Uh, like yesterday, probably. Yeah. I always learn little, always learn little, little bits and bobs. <laughs> yes. And ends. Getting to know yourself is a process you can engage in any time of day on your own time. Uh, and you don't even need a podcast to do it, to like think through your thoughts or anything. You could just do it whenever. Podcast helps. But podcast help, but also therapy helps. Therapy helps. Mm-hmm. You can try therapy with BetterHelp. I think that BetterHelp uh, and therapy in general can help you better understand yourself, uh, talking through your day-to-day experiences, all the bits and bobs that Andrew mentioned. Uh, you can also dive into stuff that you've been struggling with for a while, and it can you know help you set boundaries or goals that will help you be your best self. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online and is designed to be convenient and flexible so you can easily connect with a licensed therapist on your own schedule. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, better H-E-L-P.com slash overdue. Andrew, before this episode starts, we have a few brief announcements. Announcements. One, there's some light swearing in this one. There's swearing here. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. A skosh. A sous Yeah, Yeah, a sous of swearing. (laughs) Uh, It's also a guest episode. You want to tell them about it? Yeah, Vanessa Zoltan joined us from uh, Not Sorry Productions. That includes Hot and Bothered. Uh, podcast mostly about romance books and this one was kind of adjacent to that so she joined us there Mm -hmm. Uh, she's also one of the hosts of harry potter in the sacred text um, runs cool literary you know secular sacred retreats based on stuff like jane eyre Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah you might want to check out that she's really cool and we were really happy to have her on the show to talk about normal people um, by sally rooney by Sally Rooney. The book. Yes. Uh, so, and then last last thing real quick, just a brief content warning is is normal people, the book, and then our conversation about it uh, does touch on some like disordered eating behaviors and some uh, sexual assaults. So if those are things that you are not in a space to deal with right now, yeah. you might, you know, maybe skip this one, save it for later, don't listen to it, uh, whatever it is that you need to do. But uh, yeah, we wanted to give you a quick heads up before we dive in that that is the situation. So there you go. And next week, I don't know if we talked about this uh, when we recorded, Andrew's going to be reading All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. So tune in for that. All of them. All the birds. A lot lot of birds up in the sky. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And we are here with another episode of our show, but we are not alone. We have a guest here today. Vanessa, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And are we ever alone? Whoa. <laughs> I mean, I if you're a character in the book, normal people, like maybe you're alone all the time. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's 
Yeah, so this episode, we're going to be talking about Normal People by Sally Rooney. We have a wonderful guest, uh, Vanessa Zoltan, with us. Vanessa, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with some of your work, but if they don't, what would you say uh, they should check out? Like, let's start there. Okay. Well, I think we have two that they should check out. One is Hot and Bothered, where we do close readings of romance novels. This season, we are doing Pride and Prejudice. And it's ridiculously fun. I get to do that with the wonderful Lauren Sandler. And the other one is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, where we, you know, love trans people and also (laughs) think J.K. Rowling hasn't read her own books. Mm. And so what my co-host... Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, where we love separating art from the artist. Yeah. (laughs) And like reading it toward the artist and being like, have you read your own book? Yes. So, Yeah. We, we are familiar with that reading of, of beloved novels that seem to be written by someone other than the person who wrote them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're the, the CEO and founder of Not Sorry Productions. Um, we have a lovely connection in one Margaret H. Willison. One of my um, favorite on humans. Show. Yes, she's a joy. <laughs> um, and I was reading a little bit about your approach to books on before we dive into normal people and Sally Rooney I'd love to just kind of ask you to kind of connect your approach to reading and uh, community through reading you know as we get to this book I was reading an interview where you talked about how sacred is an act not a thing and that your pillars of sacred reading are faith rigor and community how did that get you to hot and bothered? <laughs> <laughs> and how does that bring us to normal people? Sure. Wow. Is there a timer set? Like 30 no, seconds No, no timer. No, Andrew, do it. you want to set a timer? I know. I, I want everybody to talk for as long as they want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let it be on the record that Andrew did not silence a woman tonight. Nope. Nope. Um, not tonight. Never. Not, <laughs> not ever. Um, so... Unlike the other people on this podcast, Mm. I identified from a very young age as a reader. Mm. Um, I know. It's crazy. (laughs) Um, So I I also was raised as a pretty devout atheist by two atheists who came by it very honestly. Um, But I'm also Jewish. And um, so we really like you know, worshipped books. Like, you know, there's a reason that people call Jews the people of the book. And so... Um, so novels were, it felt the closest thing to me, like God's love, the idea that Mm. someone could have written something a hundred years ago, but it could be touching my heart now, even though they would never be able to imagine me just like feels really holy and spiritual and special. And so I went to divinity school after working in education for 10 years. And I was just really, I went to divinity school and was like, oh, right. I'm an atheist. It's weird that I'm here. (laughs) And like really, really struggled being like, I don't know how to do sacred things with the Bible. I, I, it's upsetting. Like the Bible's difficult for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started treating Jane Eyre as sacred with a professor. And it turns out that Jane Eyre is also complicated. <laughs> if you read it closely, <laughs> would you all mm-hmm. have? <laughs> I hadn't read it in a while. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, to... So sacred reading is just, it's not anti-academic. It's just believing that you're allowed 
to let the book speak to you in your life and where you are mm. now. And you don't need to do the theoretical remove where, um, yeah, it's not giving you lessons. So, you know, what is what is the news that the book is trying to give to you right now? Mm-hmm. Sort of the set. Central tenant. It's very earnest. <laughs> I don't. I mean, we we don't um, describe it in in those terms. I don't think, but we'd certainly like part of our approach on the on the show is both like bringing in the context. Like, we'll do some author research. We'll talk yeah. about Sally Rooney here a little bit, and and you know, getting information about how her life and her experience informs her work. But then you know, the rest of the show is mostly just like. Where did the book meet us on yeah, our, on, on totally. our journey, <laughs> and, and you know what parts of it really spoke to us, and 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 what parts bothered us, and and that's where that's the foundation of the conversation, I think. Yeah, I just don't ever like to tell someone that they're doing sacred reading. Like someone <laughs> will come up to me every once in a while and be like, "What you're up to is really actually quite whatever Unitarian is quite you know," and I'm like, "No, it's not. I, let me be what I want to be." So. I, if you don't think you're sacred reading, you're not sacred reading. But like, it is just about reading closely and mm-hmm. intimately. Mm-hmm. But I will take your question of how it led to Hot and Bothered, which is that there were dark few years there politically. Mm. And um, there was a particular moment in which there were several like superstorms and hurricanes hitting in a row. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, we're all going to die. The world is ending. And so I put together an apocalypse box. And in my apocalypse box, I put romance novels in there because I was mm. like, while the world is ending, I'm going to want to read something fun. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, romance novels actually serve a very important theological purpose in our lives of like comfort and joy and imagining ourselves towards happy endings. So mm. anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Luckily, everything's not... better now. Luckily, so. everything's better now. So we don't need to read romance novels anymore, which is why I had us read normal people. <laughs> I saw, I've saw. i read it described as like a tragic com- Her work is like a tragic comic romance, which is mostly just people smashing words together so that they can talk about whatever book they want to talk about, which is yeah. uh, these normal people. Which is this, a book made worth talking happy, about. this made me happy and sad. Is there a word for that? Wow. <laughs> uh, ha- sappy yeah no you you got it that's not it anyway um so yeah this is a book i had only heard the title of i think when the hulu show was announced Mm -hmm. and i saw the cover of conversation with friends and was like oh i've seen that cover before and this is she's just a, a buzzy author that you know since andrew and i are not always reading buzzy like just released authors during the run of this show like i had missed her um was not on my radar and yet apparently she speaks for my generation so i'm You're very <laughs> interested <laughs> to find out what we all think about that i don't know mm-hmm. yeah um have you read other sally rooney vanessa <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier. Sorry. Yes, I'm a Sally Rooney completist, which Ooh. is to say I've read all three of her books. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Am so I a Philip Roth completist? No. Well, he wrote a lot. I don't think you need to be. <laughs> you could get the point right? from a few of his books. I get it. Um. So what? So her three books, Conversation with Friends, yes. which is that, is that 27? Yeah, 2017. 2017. Mm-hmm. And then Normal People is 2018. Mm-hmm. And then Beautiful it, World, Where Are You? 
Beautiful World, Where Are You, which is 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to hear her describe it, those first two books kind of tumble out of her brain. She's in her 20s. She's she got she bl- got like interest from an agent after publishing a, an essay uh, about being an awesome debater. <laughs> what word did you want to say instead of awesome? Um, I don't. I don't know. No, I think I think we're fine with awesome. Okay. What word did you think I Your wanted family. to say? I don't know. You just paused in a certain way. Yeah, it confused well, me. I don't know. I think I was. Hmm. I'll have to think about that. Very good. Maybe a very yeah, good debater. Very good debater. Um, and so that got her some attention, and then she got some publishing deals and bids for conversation with friends. And then Normal People follows right after. It gets more acclaim, I think, even though to read a few things about it, people like say it's retreading a lot of the stuff in conversations with friends. Mm-hmm. I can't compare the two. Vanessa, maybe I think you they're weigh in. Just reading interviews with her and reading reviews of, of Normal People, yeah, it seems like she revisits a lot of the same themes. And I think some of that like the perceived similarity has to do with like the age of the protagonists. Like mm. they're, they're all in college working through college things. Um, but yeah, beyond, beyond that, I'm not, I'm not sure. I would say that, <laughs> I don't know how many novels about like young men in their twenties, like try to find themselves. Do we have, I'm really fine with there being two kind <laughs> of similar novels about different kinds of women yeah. finding themselves <laughs> different universe at similar universities. I mean, I guess if you have that much room on your bookshelf for two of them, then that's fine. And then she kind of has I have this... a I have an e-reader, so that's how <laughs> okay, I make it right, happen. Sure. That's how you that's how you fit them. Uh, and so then she has, you know, not a very long layover before Beautiful World Where Are You comes out, but the entire press tour from what I can see of Beautiful World Where Are You is and even the content of the book is like Oh boy, everyone thinks I'm an amazing famous author. Uh-huh. Now I have to write another book and everyone wants to know about me. And also I'm a Marxist who and I'm not sure how I feel about commercial <laughs> enterprises. <laughs> and everyone thinks that I speak for a generation of people and I'm just here living in Ireland after spending some time in New York. What do you want from me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's fascinating. It's a yeah. vibe. <laughs> It's it's very it's interesting for me. To, I'm I'm not I've not done a close read of the show Girls, but mm. if you're thinking about people who, like especially who the media has perceived to be like voices of a generation, and how each of those like artists has approached that label, just two very different approaches, and that's that's how I'll that's where I'll leave that. <laughs> Here's how I honestly feel though. I'm very proud to be represented by both Lena Dunham and Sally Rooney. I'm mm, like, sure. yes, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a millennial, and I'm just like, yes, represent me. It's a me. safe space. You can say that here. But yeah, yeah, you don't. You I'm don't, just you like, know. I'm a little older than you, you guys. Know, you I'm know. an old millennial, uh, but sure, 82. Sure, yeah. I'm not yeah. ashamed. I'm 40 <laughs> and don't own property. I am clearly a millennial. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but like. I'm really fine with the two of them. I I want more. I don't want it to just be them. But if they're like two of the people in my group representing me, I'm like, sure. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I don't mean to make a, a value judgment. No, on either, I know you, either of their work at all. World. It's just like s- such such different, different. <laughs> approaches to to fame. One of them is hiding um, in her turtleneck, and the other one is like running around naked on a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm and glad they're both doing both of those things. Exactly. Well, I was, um, so Rooney's born in '91 um, in Castle oh my Bar. God, she's so young. I know. Uh, young Speaking millennial. for me, though, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, born in '91, Castlebar County, uh, County Mayo, Ireland. Her father worked on telephone lines. Her mother ran an art center, um, and they were both, you know, avowed socialists, um, and kind of impressed that upon her at an early age. She did study at Trinity College Dublin, and like Marianne from this novel, was elected a scholar. Is the turn of phrase in 2011 which is when the college apparently is like, hey, good job on that test. Here's all the money. I don't know how it works over there in Europe. No. You seem really good at school, so we're going to give you some money to keep doing it. Over here, it's like you have to get all that money up front or take it all out in a giant loan that, you know. Yeah, a bank can give it to you. That about six people might decide you will have to pay back. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Yeah, millennial stuff. They hold... My life's fate in their hands. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then, yes, she got she gets this agent offer from Tracy Bowen of the Wile- Wiley Agency after her 2015 essay in the Dublin Times about being a debater. And then she publishes these two novels. She was also an editor of uh, the Irish lit magazine, The Stinging Fly. Um, and this book, is, and I have not done a dive on this, so if no one else has, we can just like mention it and move on. Um these characters came out of a short story that she wrote called At the Clinic, which was first published in 2016. Mm-hmm. Vanessa, you're nodding as if you've read At the Clinic. Of course I, I have. I'm a completist. <laughs> <laughs> Are you able to speak to like how much of this novel is in there? None. Just the two characters. <laughs> okay. Like okay. It, it, it almost reads like a really good writing exercise for the novel. You meet the two characters. They get into a fight in a car and they go to the dentist Mm. Um, or the other way around, they go to the dentist and then get into a fight in the car and it's tense. Um, and that's, yeah. So you meet Connell and Marianne in the story. And like mm-hmm. they, they come from the same circumstances. It's, it's yes. them. Okay. It is fully Connell and Marianne. Cool. Okay. Yeah. It's fun to read after you read normal people. You're like, oh, As this opposed is how to, she yeah, invented sure. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andrew, anything else about Rooney that you wanted to hit before we go in? Just uh, again with the with the millennial thing, but juxtaposed with where she's from, um, the New Yorker profile from 2019 that I think you and I both read yeah. uh, called Sally Rooney Gets in Your Head by Lauren Collins talks about um, a quote for an Irish writer. Rooney has been received as a voice more of her time than of her place. Mm. Yeah, which is which I found kind of interesting because there are like this book does talk about some like it talks about Irish geography a little bit it talks a little bit about like specific class like constructs in Ireland but I think maybe because the book doesn't dwell on them too much and because it doesn't mess around with dialect or anything like that it doesn't feel like it's trying to be super specific to an Irish experience in a way that probably helped its like popularity over here yeah. <laughs> a little bit. So, I mean, you yeah. should listen to the audiobook because mm-hmm. you get Irish accents. Yeah. Yeah. It's, makes- it's like mentioned in the, in the prose, but you don't really like, I, it's so I, don't, fun. I don't do a good enough Irish accent, even in my head to really read it <laughs> in that, in that voice. So <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting how much of her 
time she's considered to be because I just taught this book. We have a class called What Matters and one of the books that we treated as sacred was Beautiful World, Where Are You? And Beautiful World, Where Are You? has a lot of really long, dense emails in them. Yeah. And it was all anybody wanted to talk about, not what was in the emails, but like whether or not millennials even email like that. <laughs> like who emails like that? Is she making fun of millennials with these emails? Are they earnest? Like, it's just interesting how much we want her to be of a specific moment. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I we're not. I'm not here to talk about beautiful world. Where are you? Well, Shh. I'm glad you brought the emails from that book up, though, because like that type of behavior is alluded to in this book, but mm-hmm. she doesn't dive full in. Yeah, you get a yeah. few emails. You get a few and, emails. and a little bit about email behavior in a way yeah. that like rang true to be me, but not maybe the me of like 2011 to 2015. I, I don't know yes. if you remember like the, like originally getting email like before spam and bef- before Nancy Pelosi would email you like six times before 10 AM. Like, <laughs> but also email before social media, right? Like email. But when, when that did was... that happen? I don't, it happened so gradually that I don't know that I can pinpoint. <laughs> like it's like, the, fr- the frog boiling thing. Right. Cause like I travel backpacked around Europe with my boyfriend when I was 19 mm-hmm. and like we were going to internet cafes and emailing right yeah. Like, yeah, back and, home. And ch- yeah. And checking your email was kind of a, an event because right. if you got one back, it was because it was a reply to one you had sent or it was a oh friend God, like trying to get in touch with you. Like it was a, it was a real thing. <laughs> I was just thinking about this as I was reading the book. Like, remember, remember email. Yeah. Remember when it was something other than like a little red number on my phone's home screen that caused me a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I think in my life, email is a lot of it's work. Like when I when I'm treating things like when I'm treating email importantly. Mm-hmm. It is because it is work or it is like a thing I'm working on. Well, it's... and you're just circling back to to yes. hit, to to check on something by EOD. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by cl- by COB. COB you know? is I also I would also or accept e- COB. Look, I can't because I'm OOO. <laughs> <laughs> but but she what is interesting about her in these books is it sounds like she's not you know we get some references to facebook and like facebook grief um etiquette in this novel but she's not overly she's not like diving into social media i don't know what she does in beautiful world she seems way more interested in a modern version of letter writing and Mm -hmm. like in like digital intimacy that is different from kind of performative social media behavior I would say, and I will, I promise I will stop talking about Beautiful World after no, this. No, no, this is the part of the show where that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between Beautiful World, Where Are You's relationship to technology and normal people is that the narrator of Beautiful World is almost an alien observing these human weirdos. <laughs> like it's like she sits on the bus looking at a screen of where her bus is as her bus is driving on the same road, right? Like there's this like remove yeah. of like how absurd it is that we'll like look at the Instagram of someone while we're in the bathroom while hanging out with them. Yeah, yeah. Whereas there isn't that anthropological <laughs> alien feel to it here it's nope. it it's much more intimate yeah i'd say so mm-hmm. um 
And then uh, alongside Andrew, what you said about her being considered a millennial writer more than an Irish writer, just to like dive a little bit deeper into her wrestling with her fame is just that, you know, there are many, almost every interview I could find with her. She is like, listen, I am a Marxist. I'm not sure what that means for me being a famous author. It doesn't seem right. I am a dyed-in-the-wool Marxist. We are all working class. Fame for authors. There's one where she's something like fame for authors is weird because it doesn't benefit the authors. It just benefits some shareholders somewhere. Like she's really into the philosophy of it. Right. And um, also talking like th- there's one thing I read where she was talking about like, yeah, novelists should get paid, but not like so much more than yes. like, my partner who is a teacher. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also talks about uh, there, this was in a New York Times interview leading up to the release of Beautiful World, where she says the ethics of fiction. Or this is from the article. The ethics of fiction for Rooney is very much tied to the ethics of living. Quote, when you inhabit a time of enormous historic crises and you're concerned about it. How do you justify to yourself that the thing to which you've chosen to dedicate your life is making up fake people who have fake love affairs with each other? Um, She's and playing she, pretend you, for a yes. And her well, answer to that is ultimately like, I think people should continue to make art even when everything sucks really bad, yeah. which is, yeah, which is both letting her off the hook a little bit and also true. Like that, that, um, like critique of society, but also having to exist in society. Like seesaw is one that she is on a lot. And I really, I, it uh, resonated with me quite a bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) to read a lot of her answers to these questions. Okay. And I actually think she does answer a lot of them really well in the book that I won't talk about anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I do actually like normal people better. I do, which is why I want to talk about it. (laughs) But Beautiful World Where Are You does have these two characters. One woman who moves periods for a living. She's a a, um, copy editor and another who works in like an Amazon type workplace. Mm. And they both do these mindless like tedious tasks for living but mm-hmm. one of them comes home with cuts on their hands and the other doesn't mm-hmm. and so it's it's yeah she explores these ideas very interestingly and they and both of them get paid shit right like very similar wages right? yes yes um but one's in an office and one's in a warehouse anyway I'm normal and I need a doctor. <laughs> you are normal. That's a totally normal thing, actually, to need a doctor. It is very normal, but it is unfortunate how normal it is to have trouble finding a good one. <laughs> well, that's why we're happy to tell you about ZocDoc. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more Dr. Roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who's patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. I've used ZocDoc to schedule dentist appointments, eye exams, to find other specialists who are treating just little uh, things that are wrong with my body as it gets older and worse. (laughs) And I appreciate that you can pick an appointment time right from the site and fill out a lot of your paperwork before you set foot in the waiting room. So you don't have to sit there with like a little weird Samsung tablet and hope that the page doesn't refresh while you're in the middle of stuff. Uh, So go to ZocDoc.com slash overdue and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash overdue. ZocDoc.com slash overdue. 
Andrew, I'm normal, but the amount that I need a website <laughs> is not normal. I need it. This, this is not is normal. not normal, okay. and I need a website. Help. Whether you need a website, a normal or abnormal amount, we think you should start with Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make a website. They give you beautiful templates, easy-to-use drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. So any question you've got, they're there to answer it, and then you can go on your merry way. Here's some things about Squarespace that we like other than those like big picture yeah. things. Yeah. You can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns, collect email subscribers, and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo and built-in analytics. Measure the impact of every send, every single one of them sends. Uh, You can create pro-level videos effortlessly with the Squarespace Video Studio app. It helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. Uh, analytics, we mentioned them in the context of emails, but they also got them for your, just your website. You can gain Ooh. powerful insights in who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content. You I got, do this all the time. Got, I do like to Craig know where loves, people are coming from. Loves to use in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, yeah. most read content, yes. audience ge- yes. geography, and yes. more. And more. then you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. If you want to do a totally normal thing and pick up and go somewhere else yeah. <laughs> because it's a free country, they offer one-click data portability. I don't think you'll want to do that, but it's there if you need it. Yeah. So go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So let's dive into normal people. I think actually that's a great entry point, Vanessa, because I think what is interesting to me about the setup for these two characters, Connell and Marianne, it's an ingenious setup. There's no meet cute. There's no like contrived coincidence. It is just a circumstance that Marianne's mom has hired Connell's mom to do their house cleaning. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Connell had to work up a bunch, you know, he had to work a bunch to buy a car so that he could have a car and his mom doesn't drive. So he drives her to work. Right. And that says everything about these two characters very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only thing missing, I think, from that is their own like personal interest and their own little backstories, which we can get into. But I think the like where they come from and how they meet each other is solved very neatly and says a lot about what Rooney's interested in. Yeah, and I think the book does a good job like restating that a few different times too. Like the whole thing, like th- both of these characters earn that sort of four-year academic scholarship thing that uh, yeah. Rooney got herself. And she makes it very clear. Like for Marianne, this is a mostly social like reassurance that she belongs in the place where she is and she like has her place in this academic and social hierarchy and... For Connell, it is like this. This is the difference between like me having a sort of cushyish upper middle class life and you know doing subsistence level work for the rest of my life. And, yeah, yeah. The other thing that I think is so interesting, though, in this setup is that mm-hmm. even though f- their classes are set up, and yet their class within school is reversed, right? He's yes. cool yes. Mm-hmm. and she's not. 
Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter that she's rich. In fact, the fact that she's rich is sort of perceived as gauche, right? But mm-hmm. he, um, he's got all the street cred because he's a good football player. And um, he's also smart, but he's also hot, right? Like all of those things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I totally get it. Yeah. It is- uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It is Ireland. So football means literally football. Just, you know. Soccer. You talking know, about we, soccer? Lot, we're 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 you know living in the post uh, Ted Lasso? Super Bowl land over here. Oh, okay. So. Can I tell a really quick story Please. about a time yes. that I was in Dublin? <laughs> I, yes. I was in Dublin and I asked for directions, and this guy said to me, "Keep walking. You'll pass. You'll pass the cricket pitch, and then you'll see the rugby pitch. And if mm-hmm. you hit mm-hmm. that, you've gone too far." And okay. I was like, "Do you genuinely think I know what those two things look like?" <laughs> the difference. <laughs> like you heard my accent. You think I know? I didn't Unless say that you to were him. carrying a cricket bat <laughs> and holding a rugby ball, mm-hmm. how would you know? What does a rugby ball I mean, even look like? And it's like a small doing... football. No, like it's a like a bigger football. I it's think. like a big if, football. Yeah. If you're holding those two things at the same time, I'm not sure that would mean that you would have a great idea of what was going on. I think it might mean you're even more confused. I was just like, so if I hit one green thing, good. Two green things, bad. Great. Mm-hmm. Bye. Mm-hmm. Also, it's Ireland. Everything is green fields. Whatever. <laughs> that is my Dublin experience. Mm-hmm. Connell would be on one of those fields, though. He yes, would be. He's on, he's on the he's on the pitch. He's on the pitch. Like they say in the show Ted Lasso. But Apple he is not just a popular boy. <laughs> he is also a sensitive book reader boy. Mm-hmm. Which he does not really divulge to any of his at least as his we peers. understand them kind of yeah. conventional bro friends. Mm-hmm. Who like to, you know, share photos of ladies surreptitiously yeah. and do other mm-hmm. things that teenage boys do these days i guess (laughs) um yeah it you are almost under he is under the suspicion that he is popular in part because he's silent yeah yeah like he doesn't talk much so he doesn't tell them you know all of his friends tease him he has uh, connell's mom gave birth to him very young she was like 16 his -hmm. friends tease him that his mom's hot and they just ignore him he just sorry his friends tease him that his mom is hot he ignores them he starts dating marianne he does he keeps it a secret he doesn't tell them that he reads according to marianne he doesn't tell them that he has thoughts right like (laughs) he right like there's just like this real silence to him which i think pretty quickly we can surmise is right like there's some self-loathing or like deep 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 insecurity here yeah yeah like that that silence is not coming from a place of of confidence right, it is coming from a confidence. from a place of if i <laughs> if i do talk they will all realize what a fraud and an idiot that i that i am right Right. And he does need like the the couple of moments where he hears from somebody else, whether it's Marianne or, or or another character, that he is like popular and liked. It makes him feel really good because it's not a thing that he feels about himself. Yeah, which is a little heartbreaking. Well, and as, as I recall, it's also some of that people. Ref- I think Marianne says this to, about him, and it rings true. But he doesn't know how to feel about it. She says that he's a very nice person. And in a way that he doesn't quite know what to do with because he doesn't necessarily feel like one. He doesn't know how to express that. And here he is. He has someone that he has like 
you know, he develops this very different relationship with Marianne than anything he has in his life. Yeah, and I guess unless his relationship make... with his mom is maybe the only other like honest relationship he has. Go ahead. Yeah, but but l- lest we make him sound too great, like he mm-hmm. is having a relationship with this social pariah and completely ignoring her at school because he doesn't want his friends to find out that he's dating her. Like, and it's and it's partly a like how she is perceived thing, and partly he doesn't want to deal with people talking about him dating his mom's boss's daughter yep basically um and and yeah that's not uh it's not not a great dynamic and it's sort of the the (laughs) dynamic that marianne spends the rest of the book kind of exploring to her own you know detriment i think yeah um but yeah it's 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 not great Right. So like she is madly in love with him, right? Or I that was dramatic. She has a big crush on him, this like hot yeah. guy who comes over to her house twice a week to pick up his mom and he's nice and he's smart and mm-hmm. and they like finally kiss and they start sleeping together, but he wants to keep it a secret. And this right like just goes on and on. And like the only the, I feel like the tension is most interesting in terms of his mother, right? Like his mother finds out that they're sleeping together yeah. and he's like, shut up. I don't want to talk about it. Right. Like even to his mom, who's yeah. like, I see the sheets in the washer and Marianne <laughs> just left the house. Like I <laughs> am not an idiot. And he right. Like he won't even admit it to someone who has like actual evidence. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, and and her relationship with him is also wrapped up in like so her father is dead her father is passed um her mom is very mean and cool to her and her not bro- not cool not no, cool yeah, cold sorry cold, frigid, cold yes. excuse frigid <laughs> not to like her. a no, but <laughs> she- <laughs> I'm so glad you clarified because I definitely thought he meant a. No, 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 no. No, she is not Amy Poehler Mean Girls to her at all. No, um, she is very bad. And but Alan, her brother, is worse. Um, and you know, Marianne later in the novel talks about abuse, both physical and mental, that she has experienced and emotional um, from everyone in her family. And everyone seems to think that she regards herself as better than them, which then results in Marianne thinking that she is worth <laughs> less than anyone on the planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, While simultaneously thinking, I am better than you. That's also true. Yes. Yes. Right? Which I <laughs> yes. love. She's like, yeah. wow, this makes me feel like shit. But also, I am better than you. Oh, I yes. would never take a sponge and like wring it out on someone and spit on them. Right? Like, <laughs> no, Correct. Yeah. So she is like it, bringing that to her relationship with Connell and also then kind of aiding and abetting the secret. Right? Because she doesn't... I mean, she probably wouldn't mind if it were public, but at least as we see her, she also doesn't act against it being secret because it. Yeah, it of... do, it does it does and does not bother her. Yeah, and we'll yeah we'll talk more about that. I think. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, it. Yeah. I think it always bothers her a little bit, but it's not. It's something that she can lie to herself about mm-hmm, until mm-hmm. the Debs, which I I'm assuming is prom. Prom. Yeah. I think Irish that prom. is just Irish, Irish for prom. Yeah. 
which is like a whole that's that's their high school relationship coming to a head where they've been sleeping together there is a little bit in their sexual relationship of him kind of like uh you know dirty talking to her in a way that is somewhat demeaning right that she seems interested in but Mm -hmm. is not what we see later in the book where she is outright you know sleeping with masochists and yeah right really kind of exploring that whole thing um (laughs) which i do have things to say about yeah no later andrew and i were talking about this before before we got on the recording of just like i think at a top level some of the coverage of this book as you pointed out andrew is like oh she's a marxist and there's a lot of class stuff in this book but there's a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. Like I was kind of surprised that the high level sort of summaries and and some of the interviews were so focused in on the class stuff because I did like that is that is they do talk about that a lot and it did register. But I that was not what I was immediately drawn to about the like these two characters as individuals or their relationship with each other. Like it, it was not uh, not at the forefront of of my mind. <laughs> So, yeah, I was surprised to see that focused on so like specifically and exclusively. Maybe that's it's because people don't want to admit that they like the book in part because it's sexy. Mm -hmm. It's shame. They're like, no, 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 no. It's the conversations about capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, sure. Nothing horny here, folks. Yeah. (laughs) I once heard Sally Rooney described as someone who who writes for horny depressed people mm-hmm. and i mm. i know i i think she writes about horny depressed people not necessarily okay. yeah. for them exclusively but sure it didn't ring not true <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't like, i would i wouldn't know i wouldn't know the first thing i wouldn't about. either but i i was like i can see how that's possible for some people mm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Later in the book, when they're in college and Connell, we'll, we'll come back to the Debs, uh, but later in the book, this is me working up to a point about Rooney, when Connell is dating someone else and he's kind of defending Marianne to this a girl, Helen, um, and Helen's kind of, you know, pointing out how Marianne can be in groups where she really dominates the conversation and does she really believe all those things she's saying about like, you know, the conflict in Israel or, you know, Israel-Palestine stuff or, and also she's having these conversations about like, who's sleeping with who? Like, how can you be this person containing multitudes like this? And that really (laughs) seems like Rooney, like Rooney's just like, I don't know. I'm a person in the world who has to eat and wants to have sex and wants to go to sleep. And then also I read the news and then I want to write books where all of those things are part of it. Like, (laughs) And that that rang very true to me as a person who's lived through the exact stretch of time that Rooney has, plus a few years, where it's just like, I don't know, what else am I supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes, Israel-Palestine. Also, like, tacos? Yeah. <laughs> tacos tonight? Flawful? Also, my rich friend's here, and I have complicated feelings about my rich friend because they're rich, but also because they are weird. You right. know, like that's that's just like <laughs> the way this book works. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I appreciate it Talk because the... Israel Palestine and also maybe pizza tonight. Maybe pizza. <laughs> Should we talk through the Deb's debacle? The debacle. Yes. yes. No. Talk, talk me through the debacle. Who puns gets to summarize? That's the rule. <laughs> yeah, correct. Oh dang! Is that the rule? <laughs> that's yeah. the rule. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. it's like when you do a really good job mowing the lawn, then your dad makes you mow the lawn for the oh, rest of the time crap. that you live at home. Yeah. Well, that means I did a good job. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
The Debs is, as we said, Irish prom. We, we don't need to interrogate that anymore. And uh, the girls at school, this is still in high school, um, they're like involved in uh, planning it. Um, there's a scene where they go to a they go to a club to have a meeting about planning it. They're selling some no. sort of tickets to raise money. I don't. They go to the club as a fundraiser for the prom. Okay. They have a dance as a fundraiser for the dance. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. Great. How do you not get this? It was confusing. <laughs> it was. It's also confusing because um, they're all buying alcohol, and I'm yes. like, oh, yeah, yeah, Ireland. I, I did do a double take there, but yeah. And this is like one of the first like kind of high school crowd scenes where Marianne and Connell are interacting with in front of other people. Um, I think that is when Connell gives her a ride home after uh, someone makes a pass at her in the bar. Right? And like pinches mm-hmm. her boob really yeah. hard. Like yeah, it bruises. That, mm, yeah, no good. No um, good. And so like, you know, all of their Connell's friends are you know, confirming things they may have heard or whatever based on the fact that they leave together. And then he does not invite her to the Debs and invites, like, what's her name? Rachel, Rachel. maybe? Yeah, yeah. Fucking He's Rachel. Flash forward to a few months ahead where it's just, yeah, he asked, he asked Rachel. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the way that, um, let me look up the passage that I want to talk about. Because yeah, sure. It's actually burning. Well, while you're looking that up, crowd. I'll just point out like we haven't talked about the structure of this book, which yeah. is like a lot of it's pretty spare, and it's every chapter will be a few weeks, a few months later. Um, there are some very notable exceptions at the very end of the book, I think, that are really powerful. But what at a top level, I thought the time thing was neat because it felt like almost always felt like just the right amount of time for situations to have changed and then another big event would happen and we would get a little bit of retrospective information and a little bit of new character information. Yeah. What do you think about the fact that she always does this like fast forward 10 rewind to fast forward 10 rewind to thing what like why not just fast forward eight i can give an example because that was very abstract yeah no i know exactly what you're talking about because she does it all the time and it like i wouldn't say it bothered me but that she did do it a lot (laughs) i think every jump in time is like yeah three Mm -hmm. weeks later well what you need to know is actually something happened yesterday and then i'm like wait why didn't we just start yesterday then and she's just smart enough that i'm like I'm the idiot here. Like she has to be up to something. Yeah. Structurally, mm-hmm. I think it brings me closer into the characters' heads because it is usually these chapters um, kind of bounce between which character we're following. Yeah. And so usually it's like this to me is sort of how life can feel sometimes, where I will be at something that is new and novel. And then realize the last few weeks of routine, but also some stuff happened that's been bubbling. And there was that, oh, that conversation that I'm still sort of thinking about, but I never had time to really unpack. And that sort of like things are just happening until something big happens feels like what she is up to. Because you're right. It's like with the only chapter that feels a bit like on the nose about it is when Connell goes into therapy and then it is like let's actually walk back and talk through something yeah most of the other ones feel like oh we're in a situation in present tense 
Mm-hmm. And then the character is like, and I'm thinking about this other thing and yeah, I need yeah, yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, it's just like, it's, it I is, you know, I, I have flashed forward a certain amount of time to create a little bit of like, oh, what's happening now? What are yep. these characters all yes. doing to, to make you a little bit unmoored? And then, okay, now that I've created that unmoored feeling, time to go back and fill in what you need to know to understand the dynamics of the scene that's and happening. Yet, and yet it never feels like she's full on Tarantinoing you where she's like, nah. let me just drop you in the deep end completely at a loss. Cause you always think, you know what might've happened. She's not you... trying to fuck with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think, I think I really liked your reading Craig that she's like, Thanks. okay, now we're in the car, but like, while Marianne is in the car, embarrassed in front of Connell for getting drunk last night, she's thinking about the fact that she got so drunk last night. And sure, so yeah. part of, right, like, part of the narration is that part of being in the present is also re- reliving yeah. the past. Sure. Yes. Why did I yes. say reliving like that? I said reliving. Reliving. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to keep up the iambic pentameter of how I talk. <laughs> sorry, so. Andrew, about 20 minutes ago, you were looking up a passage. Yes, I apologize. I'm so no, sorry, no, no, it's, I, was, I No, it's okay, because it took me forever to find it, and then I was going to wait and, and talk about it. You'll just when fix the all conversation, that in post, right? Yeah, when, right, when the conversation had dynamically turned to the way that Connell is like, both pushing Marianne away, but then just like super, super, super sad every time that they're not together. Yeah. <laughs> and this yeah. whole thing with him and Rachel, I think encapsulates that. Um, he and Rachel started seeing each other in July. Everyone in school had known she liked him and she seemed to view the attachment between them as a personal achievement on her part. As to the actual relationship, it mostly took place before nights out when she would put makeup on and complain about her friends and Connor would sit around drinking cans. <laughs> Sometimes he looked at his phone while she was talking and she would say, you're not even listening. <laughs> he hated the way he acted around her because she was right. He didn't really li- listen. and But when he did, he didn't like anything she actually said. He only had sex with her twice, neither time enjoyable. And when they lay in bed together, he felt a constricting pain in his chest and throat that made it difficult to breathe. He had thought that being with her would make him feel less lonely, but it only gave his loneliness a new stubborn quality like it was planted down inside him and impossible to kill. I feel like so if I was guy, a Catskills comedian, yeah. I'd go, you're just describing most marriages. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> Fooled me. But like, yeah, Connell really likes her. Yeah. She really likes him. And a lot of like a lot of what the book is about is this like it's it's both a like a missed connection thing between them almost like as, as they get a little bit older and they're like not single at the same time, but it's also neither of them really like they simultaneously really get each other, but also don't always read each other's like intentions yeah. correctly Yes, in a way that sometimes had me thinking, you know, if you just follow this conversation to its natural conclusion just a little more often, I bet you kids could make it work. But that's what happens. It that does, is yeah. literally what happens. What happens. And, it, and it speaks to both of their like deep seated insecurities about them yeah. themselves. Like it does make them feel very like fully realized as I mean, millennial characters as people who are in their heads all the time and who have like self-esteem problems and who are dealing with all this other like societal stuff on top of their relationship with each other. So, yeah. Well, and there's this great moment where Connell early in the book is like, 
it kind of doesn't know who his father is. And his mom's like, I'll tell you anytime you want. And he's just like, I don't really care. And then he's care. like, yeah. all of my friends have dad issues. I don't have any dad issues. <laughs> I just have no self-esteem and no sense of self-worth and have a profound fear of abandonment. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, the issues are like really like, I think, well drawn out and like, I don't know. I believe every miscommunication. Yes. I'm yes. excited to talk about my favorite miscommunication, but we're not okay. there yet. <laughs> we have to go through college. Yeah, he, right? he does yeah. sort of do a, we have to go do to a galaxy brain. Like, oh, you can't have daddy issues if you don't have a daddy. I have to. <laughs> yes. I figured it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> Oedipus says hello. <laughs> um, so, okay. So they're going to go to college now. And because of their relationship, um, he winds up, you know, that's reductive, but because they're together and the way that they act and talk to each other, he also applies to Trinity College Dublin, which is a bit of a, a reach, I think, you know, coming into the novel for him. Um, and they both go there. And his whole experience is that, like, whoa, I was this, you know, as you said, Andrew, he was this guy who didn't really earn it didn't work for the attention he got, the popularity that he got, because he was kind of this quiet, shy guy. It was just kind of given to him. And now he's here and he doesn't have any personality and doesn't know anyone. And he's just, because he's also worked hard to get there, he's in a room with a bunch of people who didn't. Yeah. And like that he, does, is he weird doesn't, too. that's part of the issue. He doesn't want to know any of them. And I think yeah. at one point, she says he's going to school with people who, quote, not figuratively caused the 2008 yeah, yes. financial yes. crisis. Her, she dates, so. Jamie's dad yeah. literally was one of the people. Yeah. But wait, my other favorite thing, I'm looking for the quote, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find it. But he has a really hard time adjusting as an English major because yes. everybody is talking about the books in abstract terms. Correct. And he thinks that the they're reading. so smart. And then he's like, oh, they didn't do the reading. <laughs> <laughs> like these it's rich fuckers yes, just he, didn't do the reading. <laughs> he did gradually start to wonder why all their classroom discussions were so abstract and lacking in textual detail. And eventually he realized that most people were not actually doing the reading. They were coming into college every day to have heated debates about books they had not read. <laughs> and like, yeah, you like get there and this is happening. This is very disorienting. You're from like a more rural place. He has been rewarded his whole life for actually doing the reading. And then you get to the place where in theory, that is what everybody has been rewarded for. And no one is doing the reading like that. That is full. Yeah. You find out that maybe their like great grandfathers did the reading exactly. a long time ago and they've just been and they've just been coasting on that for their hundreds of years. Their great grandfathers had one of their servants do the reading to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, and that combined with this other quote that I really liked. Back home, Connell's shyness never seemed like much of an obstacle to his social life because everyone knew who he was already. Yeah. And there was never any need to introduce himself or create impressions about his personality. If anything, his personality seemed like something external to himself, managed by the opinions of others rather than anything he individually did or produced. And a lot of the anxieties about interacting with people in college... Just like, even though it was only a few years after when you and I were in school, Andrew, like, I don't know, man, hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, it just felt very true to, I don't, I don't know. I didn't have Connell's experience per se, but the like opportunity to invent yourself, opportunity Mm -hmm. to uh, make connections 
for really the first time, like it's, you know, for many of us, it is the first time that you're uh, in a place of your own choosing mm-hmm. that you go to. And some people are not, but that that is certainly the experience of the class of people going into the school. Um, and you're like building relationships, but also like, I don't know, there are people here I didn't plan on being here. And I didn't I didn't know what I was supposed to say to them and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. Well, as, whereas Marianne, right, who got rejected by Connell in high school, left high school and like just yeah, she exams, leaves, yeah, right, get like gets out of this abu- abusive house, right, where mm-hmm. her mother at best is a toward her, but like is usually worse, and then her <laughs> brother, I can't keep straight face. She's Went, mostly and, like nay to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and her brother is like outright abusive, right? And everyone mm. in school is horrible to her and men at bars are pinching her breast, right? Like the world is a really hostile place to Marianne. And then yeah. she gets to Dublin and her grandma just like has a flat she can live in for free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Marianne has this great line where she's like, I know, just like me, right? I came to university and got pretty. She like somehow <laughs> came into her own and like she can pull off a beret, we find out towards the end <laughs> of the novel. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, you can what? She's no, sexy there's... smoking throughout the entire book. <laughs> yeah. There's no part of the of the book that I remember where she like takes her glasses off and she was pretty <laughs> the whole time, but you really do feel like at some point she did do that. Uh, yeah. But in you between also... high school and college. <laughs> yeah. I so it is n- <laughs> it is nine thirty at night, so I my like oh Awake brain probably wouldn't share this, but you look at Sally Rooney <laughs> and you're like, I understand how in high school you thought you were ugly and then in mm-hmm. college realized you mm. were hot as fuck. Sure. Right? Sure. Like, <laughs> I get it. Like, yeah. Anyway. I, think, I mean, like, M- Margaret has has shared a similar sentiment looking at like old pictures of herself. It's like, I, we didn't know how hot we were. We, we were didn't so stupid. know. We were yeah. so dumb. And then you get to college and you're like, that's like Nora Ephron's whole shtick. She's like, if you're under 50, you should be running around in a bikini all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, anyway. But um, I think, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So Marianne, for Marianne, college is that thing, right? Where yeah. she gets to reinvent herself. And there's even that great scene right before she leaves for college where she's like, I only have to survive this for another couple of weeks. Yep. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be gone and I'm going to have new teacups and everything will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the, and the, what's interesting is that like she is immediately, she has a, a circle of friends. She is popular. She is remarkable in her classes. Not all of the people she associates with wind up being cool people yeah right Uh, many of them are not she Uh, dates like a nazi sympathizer and then fascists and then the son of a guy who caused the financial crisis crisis, yeah you know you're just in college you're playing the field you're seeing what you know seeing what you like and then a masochist (laughs) yep yes Mm -hmm. those are the three boys she dates other than connell other than connell well, and so yeah, it, when when she is having sex, she is like exploring this place where she. I mean, mostly it's a power dynamic thing. Like she's so, and it, and it started in kind of a subtle way with Connell, where she was just kind of like giving herself over to him, and anything that he wanted, she would do. And then she kind of keeps doing that as she gets in progressively worse relationships, where the men like start hitting her and. And doing all kinds of other stuff. And it's not even, it's never even really clear what of this she is into and what of it she is just kind of tolerating because of the the way that she 
like is, is attracted to that power dynamic. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's a, it's very a gray area and it really, it's like, yeah. it sucks for her because like as, as her relationships get more abusive, she also is finding herself like more cut off from the social group that she had you know, Andrew, had finally made these ends with. What's up? When you said it was a grace, you mean like a Christian gray situation? Yeah, that's uh, exactly what I meant. I just, I just wanted to clarify. Sorry, Craig no, paid there me two, to go this, Ayo, whenever he makes a joke. <laughs> there are two things that this book is more nuanced about than Fifty Shades of Grey. Just two things. And one of them is, one of them is like it's discussion of power dynamics in relationships. And then the other one is how people email each other. <laughs> But anyway. I'm so embarrassed that I get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Vanessa, is the is your favorite yeah. misconnection the one with the first summer in college? Yes. yes. Okay, set us up so, for it. I, so, I, I marked this one too. Yeah. So what happens is Connell ha- Connell and Marianne reconnect and they start dating again, and it's yeah. going really well. And these two crazy kids are just so happy and. You know, it's awkward. They still won't admit that they're together because they're both just too scared to, like, ask the other person, are we together? They're both constantly assuming that the other person doesn't want them, is too good for them, is too normal for them, whatever. And But it's just, like, going very well. And it's, like, very, like, montage in the middle of the rom-com trying on hats. And then (laughs) Connell was able... Connell was able to get a job just because Marianne has rich friends at one of her rich friends' parents' um, restaurants. And then the restaurant has to lay him off for the summer. And so Mm -hmm. he can't afford to stay in Dublin. He's going to have to move home to Sligo for the summer, and so they'll be apart. But he can afford to live with Marianne for free. And they essentially live together anyway. So he wants to move in with her. But what he does, because he's a big dodo brain, is say like, hey, Marianne, I can't afford to live here this summer. Silence. No. So can I move in? And she hears, I'm going to be away all summer without talking to you about it. And like, he's also, it's sorry, it's important to know, he's so nervous about asking to move in. He waits and waits and waits. So it's like a week away from when he leaves, when they have this conversation. So from her point of view, she's finding out with like no notice that her boyfriend is leaving for the summer. And then she's like, oh, well, I guess you'll want to see other people. And he's like, okay. And that's <laughs> that's it. But like, understandably. He's thinking, himself, yeah. he's thinking to himself like, oh, it's it's already too late to ask. I I, I thought I still had time, but no. Who, <laughs> yeah, this who, how did, how, so how did this happen to me? But anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I know. Sweet. He's like, oh, I thought that this conversation was like a slow tractor on a road in Pennsylvania, and it was like a drag race. And how did I miss it? Well, and like her interpretation of it too is that is that he said we should see other people. Yeah. And like they both both of their versions feel right. Like both of their yeah. versions feel like a, a plausible version of what happened that they experienced. And later, I I I like this does get hashed out between them not to any like real resolution they still kind of end up disagreeing about what happened even though they're closer at that moment and i think his version he says you know i didn't really know what was going on with us last summer like when i had to move home and and that i kind of thought maybe you would let me stay here or something i don't really know what happened with us in the end and like poor god like 
about the the like constant missteps and miscommunications coupled with just an amazing self-awareness of their own failures like that was really compelling to me even though the book is like constantly finding ways for them to have these misconnections the fact that they are able to then in ways i found interesting talk about those misconnections is what made that like device work for me sure sure also it's just so believable I ha- because of the class difference, right? This is a moment that I actually do think is about class. He doesn't want her to think yeah. that he's just dating her for the free place to live, right? And he doesn't yeah. want her to think that he's like a lazy sack of shit who can't get a job, right? Like, it's embarrassing when mm-hmm. you're the person who can't pay. And right. then she thinks that he, like didn't tell her this thing and she always thinks that maybe he's flirting with other people and maybe he's sleeping with other people right like she really doesn't have like a firm measure of it so he comes and is like i have to go home for the summer and she Uh just assumes it's a done deal so like i really buy it on a class level here yeah 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 on on a class level and then on the like I, I needed you On to pull me levels. back from the brink. Well, no, I, I needed you to pull me back from the brink. Like right. they, they each needed to be the other person. They each needed the other person to actually assert what they wanted in that yeah. situation. And then neither of them do. And then they never like revisit it until like months or years later. <laughs> I think that's actually what marriage is, is being like, no, it's my turn to fall over the edge. Yes. You have to right. stay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the cliff mm-hmm. today. They just haven't mm-hmm. found their rhythm yet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They will. Um, They'll get there. So the first the first guy stands up and says, I'm Spartacus. And then everyone else is like, well, <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I guess, I guess he's Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> he's over there. Yeah. <laughs> That's him. Um, and so, you know, there are more interpersonal dynamics that happen in their friend group i think the next big like set of scenes is the like summer trip in europe that kind of culminates with her and this masochistic guy that she's with kind of having a blow up at her family house that she's that they're all staying in right and this is Mm -hmm. also when he's dating that girl helen who is in a in chicago for some what? reason, they're Skyping. It's so fun. Um, and like the thing he's experiencing with this other relationship is like, oh, this is a relationship where I get to be a quote unquote good person. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice and it feels so good. But yet I still have this friendship with Marianne that it like speaks to this essential version of myself. Um, yeah, that I th- that part of the book to me mostly was just like how do we get to the the blow up at that right syndrome. yeah like it, it's it's for for connell it's this juxtaposition of this this relationship is how i feel like i should feel in a relationship but also i'm kind of having panic attacks all the time <laughs> and i don't yeah. know why <laughs> yeah the you also get a little bit of like sally rooney's justification treaties in this section of the book where she Connell got the scholarship which means that he can travel around Europe a stark difference this summer from last summer Mm -hmm. Um, and he's saying to Marianne it feels weird that suddenly I can just afford to like go look at art and buy a coke and you know all these things that money can afford you 
And she says, well, you just have to think about what you believe in. And do you believe that someone should be able to go to college and study English and then go around and see art? If yes, then then you're doing the right thing. And I think that that gets to um, what, Andrew, you summarized about Sally Rooney earlier, which is Mm -hmm. like that she thinks that novelists should be able to make a living, whether or not it should be like so disproportionate to the teacher. Right. Mm -hmm. But you do get this little communist like manifesto oh, yeah. line <laughs> amongst all yeah, this yeah there, flirtation there these, and this um th- another moment in that vein that that is coming to mind now that you mentioned that vanessa is um after he gets that scholarship and he goes to like the stuffy old dining oh, hall that man. He's in, yeah and he's like yeah i'm i'm a student here and then the people serving me are students here but we have one underclass and one like overclass even in this academic setting and like three months ago i was the underclass right yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah Um, yeah and you have that and then a conversation about what the difference is between a flute and a coop you know you're like all all one chapter yeah like i'm i'm very like if it holds liquid the liquid can go in there yeah (laughs) that's that's my stance on drinking out of stuff maybe it's a little controversial it's a glass what drinks yeah mm-hmm. pour stuff in it yeah um so yeah that is another opportunity where they reconnect and then before they finally come together at the end there's the like they're both at their lowest points where he is in he is uh he is in treatment because for, for severe depression suicidal depression um she is in on her like year 3 in is it Sweden or Switzerland Sweden. Sweden. Sweden, where she's just, it's like full dragon tattoo out there, where she's dating a guy who's kind of a monster, um, or at least is, you know, interested in stuff that she's not interested in um, and taking Although it Although she eggs him on with it. She does. Too. Yeah. This is, so this is the thing I have to say about BDSM. I, I am not super up on BDSM. Like, mm-hmm. I, the politics of that community but sure. my mm-hmm. understanding yeah. from what i've heard from people in that community is that they feel really poorly represented by this novel that this yeah. is like right because bdsm in theory is all about consent and a lot of yeah. what happens is not consensual mm-hmm. and i i can imagine really getting like agitated by this representation of bdsm if i was part of that community And yet I also think specifically Marianne finding a way that is coded as, although sexually quote unquote deviant, right, in a mainstream society, but still is is socially acceptable or at least having a language, finding a way to express like the deep self-loathing and loneliness makes sense to me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As a character thing, right? Like rep sweats aside, like I do think it, Anyway, I know it's complicated, but I also think it works. Um, yeah, it's I, I I see both ends of it because yeah. at the, on the one hand, like on a, on an individual character level, yes, it does work, and right. and also like this is only one guy and he's not representative of the of the entire community, but also he kind of is because he's the only example of a person from the community yeah. that totally. we see in this book, and there's no yeah, there's no like safe word, there's no like. No, no, like caring at all that we see. There are no guardrails. And we talked about this a little bit when we did Fifty Shades. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) Fifty Shades. Yeah, I just don't think this is as problematic as Fifty Shades. No, not at all. No, because at least the characters are doing something that feels true to 
something uh, that like human beings would ever experience with <laughs> each yeah. other. Yeah, it, it's, okay. it's that like it's when it it's typically it seems like and I think this is what you're talking about, Vanessa. Like when the BDSM community is portrayed in main when it kind of crosses over into mainstream fiction um, or storytelling, it is so that we can play in a space that is like that is unsafe to a to a person who is not in that community right right um and that's sort of what's going on here at its most extreme for marianne where she is like she finds her limit in this situation um and for us who has spent the whole novel with marianne it feels bad like i don't Mm -hmm. like being in that space with her um and then then to see it come into her relationship with Connell where she is like asking for things that he won't do mm-hmm. like that was also you know I was not expecting the book to go there either which was yeah about mm, it kind of interesting the other thing I'll just say is like this is not the only form of self-harm she's engaging in in Sweden That's right? true. She like mm-hmm. she's also not eating yeah, um yeah like there's some uh, I I feel this is like a note for myself that we should put a co- content warning but like Sure, right, yeah. there's like really active calorie counting in these yeah, chapters, yeah. and you know, like she's in a bad place. And then, yes, Connell is as well because another content warning. Right, one of their high school friends, but a good friend of Connell's, has killed himself, and yeah. Connell just cannot pull himself out of the despair of his grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that 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 whole funeral experience is what leads to him breaking up with Helen. Um, that is all wrapped up with his relationship with Marianne and her Helen's inability to kind of meet him where he is, but also he's probably not being honest with himself about his connection with Marianne and, and to where he's from. Um, but then, yeah, the whole sequence where he's in treatment is, is very interesting. It's, you know, kind of very moving to watch him go through that. Um, and that, like, his friend from college is what recommends him to go do it. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. And the book is both, like, the book is, I feel like it has a complicated position on on this. Because he simultaneously is kind of getting what he needs out of yeah. this relationship. But also the book does a teeny, teeny, tiny little bit of, oh, he takes the pills and he goes to work. And isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. all, you know, we're all just self-medicating and trying to ignore everything. and. Like it's, I don't know that it is explicitly trying to make that point, but the one time it does mention him being on medication, it does feel just like gently derogatory about it, or at least he feels maybe like it's. I think I maybe initially read doing. it as he feels that way, but I could see what you're saying, Andrew. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where it's hard to like distinguish the intent from the way that it that it reads. Um, and also the therapist that he's seeing, like, she doesn't she gives him a lot of worksheets and maybe doesn't seem her language felt rote at the top of that scene, right? To, to give love. he do, doesn't seem yeah. to be giving him a particularly personalized like treatment plan, but it still seems to be, you know, he is he is no longer in that like deep hole that he yeah. that that he was in when he sought treatment in the first place. So I don't know. So I think. First of all, I think that part of what she's writing about is um, the public health system in Ireland. You see a similar scene in Conversations with Friends. The uh, main character there gets diagnosed with endometriosis. And, like, she almost dies from ovarian torsion at one point. And they're Mm -hmm. like, great, see you in six weeks. And, like, 
she gets free incredible care after the six weeks, right? But like, and the the way that the doctor talks to her, like this isn't this is not foreign to us in the United States who have a different yeah. healthcare system, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. So I do think part of what she's doing is representing that, like the healthcare system as it is experienced. Um, the other thing that I like about the representation of the antidepressants is that I'm skipping ahead to spoiler land of the ending, but Connell's on his meds and gets into an MFA program. Yeah, And I yeah. feel like one of the things that we tell ourselves is that like our depressed brains are our creative brains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love that he's like taking his Zoloft and is like still writing the best shit of his life and like getting to go to (laughs) New York on his scholarship, you know? So I I do think that it's like all ambivalently written, but I do think she comes out really, really on the right side in my opinion. Sure. Yeah. Even though this, this leads to the book ending on yet another moment where I just want to grab them both and shake them and be like, have the, have the conversation that you're trying to have. Like, stop it. Yeah. Oh, you think that this final conversation is still them not talking? And she, Cause she tells him to go and that it'll be fine. And we like, we've seen them do this before and he has gone and it hasn't been fine. That's so funny. I mean, maybe, maybe it's, you know, they, they have both grown, but I, I, I guess I kind of viewed it on a little bit of a down note where so even though like they have this thing together where they both understand, they kind of understand each other, but then also like you can't really like know somebody no matter how like close you feel with them. And so they're still not, I feel like communicating what they actually want from each other very clearly. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's think- just me. What do you think, Vanessa? I love that reading that is just them fucking it up again. Um, Mm -hmm. The only, the thing, they do it intentionally, right? It's very Gwyneth and whatever, Chris Martin. What's his band? I wanted to know. Uh, Coldplay? Uh, No doubt. Coldplay. (laughs) I wanted to call him Coldplay guy. Okay. You just call him Coldplay, like Hootie. Yeah. Like that's just his name. That's his name, yeah. So it's very like Gwyneth and Coldplay, right? Like (laughs) it's very conscious uncoupling. What they're doing, sure. whereas previously it was like unconscious coupling, uh, and like interesting, and so there seems to be a difference in that. I just like we've seen them do long distance fairly successfully with like S- Sweden grief recovery, sure, yeah, and the yeah. emails and yeah, and I just think I don't know. I think these two kids are gonna figure it out. Like she would be the end of the book. Her. Her happily ever after, right? It's like she loves going to an office and like just like making enough money to get by. And it like Mm -hmm. what she finds out is that she's boring. And like (laughs) that's what she learns about herself. And I love it. I'm like, yes, you're a basic bitch who can pull off a beret. (laughs) Like, but also like totally, totally independent of her abusive family, finally. Yeah. Like not having to go back to them for anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then Connell like really needs to pursue this writing thing and they need to like deal with their attachment disorder to one another and not be totally (laughs) codependent. So to me, it's them like being like, okay, let's not live codependent lives. Let's go. I read it as a happy ending, Craig. 
here's here's my uh it's not a cop-out answer it is the third way which is you know oh, we're not boy. living in the 90s but oh, boy um both that already sounds like a cop-out no thanks no yeah. my, look there are I, good people on both sides of this argument yeah, no no the, the no joe no, mansion no, of no, the overdue no. podcast over here listen there are fascists <laughs> we're bad. not gonna let you share we're no. just gonna <laughs> Um, my incivility we're just gonna shout you down i read the last line of this book and i made a note in my e-reader that has a terrible keyboard it doesn't read my fingers well and it just says good endung and it's because (laughs) i felt i felt that the end of this book the i found the ending very ambiguous and that I thought that she was deliberately kind of dropping the curtain on on their relationship so that we could have a conversation like this. Like, I think, I, it, I don't think this is a cop-out answer. I think this is the intended effect of the novel is that, like, depending on your read of them, on whatever read of this book you're having, whether it's your first or your third or whatever, um, is that you... I don't know if you want them to continue being together. I don't know if you want them to take time apart, but that she's deliberately created a blank space where you are going to fill that in for yourself or you're going to like want more or yada, yada, yada. And I just found it so effective you know, to what we were saying earlier about the kind of like time jumps in this book. um, She really, and this is, kind of rat closing down our conversation a little bit but like towards the end the the last two time jumps i think are both her shortest and her longest where she does like a five minute time jump around the abusive episode with her brother and then a seven month time jump to the conversation that we're talking about now and now she's just like no more time jumps you don't get to know yeah this is we're not going to come back to this later this is this is another spot where you guess what happened and you don't get to know and I guess, like, I guess I'll say for my interpretation, like, it doesn't preclude a happy ending. It just maybe it just means there's another cycle here where they're yeah, yeah. apart for a year or however long, but the, they keep like orbiting each other over and over again until they figure it out eventually. Like that, that is also totally valid. Like you, you've seen them split up a bunch of times, but you've also seen them always come back to each other at the end of those like periods of being split up. So yeah, it's, I, I'm not saying they're doomed to, to <laughs> eternal misery because they're not communicating. I'm just saying there does seem to be a limit to how much each of them has like learned and grown from the way that this cycle has gone for them in the past. Can I, can I read the good endong? Real yes, quick? please Re- read, read the, the good, good endong. endong. Thank you. It's, <laughs> I think it's so beautiful. Okay. He, he brought her goodness like a gift, and now it belongs to her. Meanwhile, his life opens out before him in all directions at once. They've done a lot of good for each other. Really, she thinks. Really. People can really change one another. You should go, she says. I'll always be here. You know that. And I just, I, I know, I, like, my whole thesis on hope is that it is like a fundamental belief that we can change for one another through loving one another. And so I just think that this is like an incredibly hopeful ending where she's like, look, we've changed each other for the better and now we can go. And like, 
now them getting back together will be a choice, not like they have been mm. oxygen to each other, sure. right? Like, mm-hmm. and now they like can breathe the air outside of their own orbit and like they can sort of choose to be together or not. But they're already changed, right? Sure. They've done a lot of good for each other. And what is yeah. interesting about about that to me is like, I don't know how they get back together. Like I don't yeah. have a, I don't even have a, a, like a guess as to how it happens. And the rest of this book is like, there's, there is a gravity to them getting back together. That is somewhat predictable on purpose. Like, like mm-hmm. you can see the shape of it. Um, just neat. Yeah. Hmm. Did you guys book. like it? Did I make you read yes. a bummer book? No, I did like it. I no. did like it. There I mean, are parts of it that were bummers for sure, but that's how a lot of books go. I hate to, <laughs> I hate to break like, it to you, but these, these things nice, can be depressing. <laughs> hi, nice to meet you. Do you want to read this bummer book with me? That's how we met. <laughs> it is a, it's an interesting book to consider to be a romance or to, to just be a relationship novel. Mm-hmm. So the definitions um, of a romance so novel. Oh, yeah. sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. So the definitions of a romance novel, according to the Romance Writers of America, which is an incredibly racist organization, but, you know, they wrote the definition. <laughs> but they say that it is a book in which the main story of the main characters is them being in relationship to each other and finding love for with a happily ever after or a happily for now. And so whether or not normal people is, I think we could all agree that the main story is Connell and Marianne. Yeah, there's no side plots. Yeah. No. And and like often there's a lot of sex in romance novels. Get a lot of that. And I do think that this is a happily for now. They're together until he goes to New York. Sure. I want to defend this as a romance novel. Is it a light romp of a romance novel? No. (laughs) No. But I, I do think it's a romance novel. Persuasion isn't a light romp, and that's no, a romance novel. <laughs> no, there's a lot of sad stuff in there. Yeah. I think of my recent reread, everyone, like half the cast is a widow. It's not a happy <laughs> No, it's so sad. But anyway, I do think it's a romance novel. Well, <laughs> thanks for coming on and defending it as a romance novel. Thanks for having time. me. Thanks for talking about this book with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for thanks for helping uh, my like bummer interpretation not be the last word on what we thought about. <laughs> I love your bummer interpretation blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, they're just making the same fucking mistakes again. Mm-hmm. But you know, the third way, as Craig taught yeah. us. Yeah, Craig. I don't. Way. I'm not here to defend the third way. You love the third way. I love That's the third really centrist. Oh, he loves cutting the baby in half. <laughs> No. All compromise. Craig loves Sally Rooney's compromise. gonna come get me. <laughs> She's not gonna be happy with me. Um, Vanessa, you, I know you have. What is the current season of Hot and Bothered tackling? Because you do seasons. So what are you working yes. on right now? So we're doing Pride and Prejudice right now. It's called Live from Pemberley, and I am. <laughs> Hold on, I can do it in the right voice. Are you ready? Oh please! And it's oh, called please. Live from Pemberley. <laughs> But like no finish. It's just it. We're just live from Beverly. Um, can we do a pickup though of you guys talking about about your stuff? Yeah. So like for the end sure. of when it's in our feed. Yeah. Happy so to. I'm gonna just do that, and we can just send the raw audio, and Ariana can edit this if we want. Um, oh, that's fine. 
But so can you, Craig and Andrew, just tell our listeners where they can find Overdue and what other things you do over on your amazing podcast? Craig, you want to start the normal spiel and I'll pick up Do the shtick, where I normally Craig. pick up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dance. So we're all, our shows at Overdue Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that, that, our shows at OverduePodcast.com. Uh, in February, we celebrated 10 years of our show by oh, revisiting some novels that we had <laughs> already covered. Um, some books we wanted, you know, a second shot at or things like that. So we did talk about Persuasion. We talked about Of Mice and Men. We talked about The Secret History. Talked uh, about um, Love in the Time, uh, of, Cholera, in the time right? of Cholera, which I think based on that definition would qualify as romance. Yeah, it would. Um, oh, and right- ha- <laughs> <laughs> uh, And right now we are also, we are also working through uh, our new Long Reads project, which will be on our main feed soon. Um, maybe by the time this is airing, uh, which is called Sand By Me. It's a deep dive into Neil Gaiman's The Sandman series, which we are tackling a volume at a time. So, yeah, that's so what cool. we're up to right now. Is that... I guess Andrew, it, what else? Andrew, Craig did a, an adapted version of the. Oh, <laughs> Craig. Uh, we, we're also uh, twitter.com slash overview pod. Yeah. When that website is working, baby, we're there. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, patreon.com slash overdue pod is our uh, you, the way you can support us financially we have a like a discord server with our community that is really a lot of fun um, you can sit on on bonus recording streams like everything we record for that eventually makes it out to the main feed um, like that's the thing we've always done I know not all podcasts do that but it's it's a decision that we made to like keep it accessible but um, yeah I think the rewards there are kind of fun if you want to look into it if you like what we're doing um, yeah I think that's the thing that's we it. we keep our stuff private we only want rich people hearing certain things <laughs> that's fine I mean you know it's a free country <laughs> and where else can can folks find uh, not sorry production stuff so um, you can find everything we do at notsorryworks.com and hot and bothered at the ROM pod everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for thank talking you. about normal people. We're all normal like, people here. I'm the most normal. <laughs> I don't know. I'm the most normal person sitting in her kid's closet. <laughs> in Medford, Massachusetts. I should go to let her come into her bedroom. all right everybody we're gonna we're gonna sign off here then uh thank you for listening and until we talk to you next time please try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.